as a child I realised I was abandoned when I was younger and uh, abandonment and uh, I didn't know how to handle rejection and uh, with a relationship usually that would come up I'd put up a bit of a brick wall and not let people get too close to me and eventually that would cause the relationship to break down and my alcoholism of course I'd go drinking and forget about coming home and the relationship would break down and I'd move on and start all over again and the pattern was there consistently it just went uh, around in a circle for those 17 years in and out of jails and lockups and DUI charges and uh, like I say, a lot of jobs, and I just trying to fit in somewhere all the time. And I never really thought alcohol was a problem because it always made me feel better when I drank. That's why I drank because it uh, helped me forget about my past. You know the things that I was unable to do, but alcohol seemed to give me the courage to do things at first. But down down the track a bit in my drinking, you know, 10 years down the track, it wasn't doing much for me at all. It was just causing me a lot of trouble. And uh, the friends I did have, I was losing. And my family, they didn't want to know me if I was drinking. You know, I'd ring them up in the middle of the bloody night. And uh, they didn't appreciate that. When I was away, I could have been in Darwin. And I'd ring them up in the middle of the night and, start raving on like a lunatic yeah it's a pretty not a very nice thing to do to your family at times but I didn't have a lot of control because alcohol just led me down that path I was lonely most of the time you know I always felt that loneliness within me I wanted to fill that hole up inside of me and that's what alcohol usually did but it was only a short term thing when I woke up the next morning, it was all back there again, you know. The insecurity, the fears, the anxiety, it was all there the next morning. And I really didn't know how to handle it, so I had to pick another drink up to try to settle my nerves. I used to shake in the mornings. From the age of 18, I started to get the shakes in the morning. and. Uh, one of my mates said to me, you know, I know what you need, the hair of the dog. And I said, what are you talking about, the hair of the dog? He said, you, you got a couple of bottles of beer in the fridge? I said, yeah. And he said, well, that's what you need, and that'll stop you from shaking. So we had a couple of bottles of beer, and the shakes went, and I thought, well, that's all I've got to do now, is just have that morning drink, and I'll be OK. But of course, as we know, it's... Uh, progressive disease and that's when the morning drinks started you know I had a good job down at Port Adelaide in the wall stores and I worked myself up from the floor up to a foreman and I had men at working under me and we used to hire these people from down Port River they were definitely alcoholics they lived on the river and uh, they used to rock up for casual work in the morning and we'd give them a job they were good workers but then they'd get their sub at morning smoko and they'd all jump in this old car and go down to the Colac Hotel 
and they'd drink as many pints as they could in that 20 minutes and then they'd be back to start work again. And sometimes they all come back and other times there'd be one or two missing and that happened like morning smoko at lunchtime and knock-off time, you know, they got what was left of their pay then. And most of them turned up the next day because they needed the money to drink. And I said, geez, I'll never end up like them, you know, going to the early opening in the morning. And uh, that, that, I don't know, it wasn't as long as about nine months in that job. And uh, I was starting to get a bit anxious in the morning because of the responsibilities I had. And I'd end up going to the Colac Hotel, the early opener, and then before I got to work, and then I'd get to work and set all the work program up for the guys and I said if you need me I'll be down the pub so uh, I knew I wasn't going to keep that job too long doing that so I ended up handing my notice in and uh, jumped on a motorbike and decided to travel do a geographic and that's when I ended up over in New South Wales and the bike clubs and that started a progressive progressive sort of uh, bad behaviour with people. I never ever grew up with those sort of people. You know, my family weren't like that. And these, these people didn't need to drink. They were crazy without it. And I was trying to fit in with them, you know. So, But I needed to drink to do that because I felt very uncomfortable if I didn't have a drink around them. I just didn't feel right. I meant to be there. And... Uh, yeah, so eventually, you know, I ended up in a lot more strife then. And uh, I got into a fight one night in the blackout I was. And uh, I woke up at the uh, one of the bikies' houses. And they carted me off in a car and took me back. I was knocked out, blood all over me. And I woke up in this house and looked in the mirror in the bathroom and I couldn't, I did, could not recognise myself. I had, one eye was half, half open, the other one was completely shut. Nose was all bent, a couple of my teeth were half chipped off and I had bruised ribs and I thought, hell, these are my friends, you've got to be joking. And I, you know, I, I asked later on, what happened to me? And they said, oh, you poured a beer over one of the guy's heads and uh, he bashed you. Now, that's what I was told. You know, that's what they told me, but I don't really know what happened because I was in a blackout. Yeah, so they're the sort of things that can happen to you. or happened to me anyhow. It was getting worse all the time and I just couldn't see it. And... Uh, I went to a party the night after that bashed. I went to another party on the back of my mate's motorbike so I couldn't ride, I couldn't see properly. And I walked into the where the dance was being held, the party, and I walked through the door and within five minutes I had a bottle thrown over my head, smashed my head. And I thought, geez, I've got to get out of here. I'm not going to live too long otherwise. And uh, I got my mate to take me back to my motorbike and somehow I rode that motorbike, I took off that night and I rode that motorbike and just kept riding. And that's, uh, you know, until I got to Darwin. It's a couple of days later, and two or three days later I got to Darwin. 
and I met a mate up there and he got me a job in a pub and I thought, geez, this is all right. Bloody free drinks now. And uh, within three months of working at that job, I was a bloody nervous, bloody wreck because I wasn't eating properly. I was just drinking and you get free drinks all the time. And if you didn't get free drinks, you, you got your own free drinks. You just took them. And, uh, you know, I was working on the door when they had the nightclubs going, helping out my mates on the on the door. They were the bouncers. I was just there if they needed somebody. And uh, one of my mates had to go outside this one night and he ended up... So he said to me before he went out the door, he said, I'm not back in five minutes. Come out and see what's going on. And it was a pretty busy night that night. And... Uh, he didn't come back in five minutes, so I went out there and uh, these guys had him up against the wall and they were stabbing him in the back and he got stabbed three times. And I grabbed this guy and spun him around and uh, he stabbed me in the arm and ripped my bloody nerve in my arm. I lost the use of my arm and blood was pouring out and I kicked him as hard as I could between the legs and took off running because he was after me with this knife. And uh, I got away from him, but uh, I went around the back of the nightclub and he'd be on a bush and my heart was pounding and I thought, that he's going to get me, this bloke's going to kill me if he finds me because I, I couldn't do nothing, my arm's buggered. And I'm sitting there quiet under this tree and I, I thought, he's going to hear my heart, it was pounding. Next thing I got a tap on the shoulder and it was the manager from the nightclub. He said, you better come inside now, Bluey. Uh, he got your mate inside and the ambulance is coming. So, you know, I got inside there and uh, we went to the hospital. And they sewed us up. And uh, as the doctor was sewing up my arm, the nurse said to him, isn't that a cut nerve there? Shouldn't you sew that back up? And the doctor had a look and he just said, oh, no, that's all right. We just tucked it in there and sewed the skin over the top so I lost the use of my fingers I couldn't use my arm and uh, I went back and they'd just give us physio and that wasn't going to work because the nerve the nerve had been cut so I was left with a gummy arm and uh, I had a lot of fear after that you know I lost, I lost a lot of trust in people after that in those days you didn't get trauma treatment or anything like that. You're just sewing up and kicked out the hospital. And I suppose that played a lot on me to drink heavier after that because I uh, people didn't want to be around me because I had this gummy arm. And uh, then I got another DUI charge in Darwin and I decided to uh, try to get back to Adelaide. And I painted my helmet and painted the motorbike a different colour and I took off back to Adelaide and got as far as Tenon Creek and like I said I got in a lot of trouble travelling around you know DUI charges and stupid drunken fines and and I never paid any of them I just took off to the next place and eventually in Tenon Creek I was riding through there early in the morning and there happened to be a guy on a motorbike looks like he was just coming home from being out at night and uh, I waved to him as I went through and I had my girlfriend on the back of the bike and we were heading off 
out coming back to south and off we went and about 20 k's down the track police cars behind me flashing his lights and had to pull over and they uh, jumped out of their car and grabbed us as if we had robbed a bank or something and uh, spread your legs and handcuffed us and this is out in the middle of nowhere and I told him what happened he said yeah you, you took off without going to court you know and that's right that's exactly what I did from Darwin so uh, I was to pay the price and they took us back to Tennant Creek and I went to court there. I was in the, the jail out the back there for a few days before court. And uh, there happened to be a guy that I rode down the west coast with, down to Western Australia, and uh, old Hardy Bill. And he happened to be in that town and he'd seen me motorbike parked out the back of the uh, police station. And he come over and looked through there and he said, is that you, Bluey? And I said, yeah, mate, how you going? And I told him the story. And then I said, I got all these fines and I got no way of paying them off. He said, oh, that's all right, we'll get you a loan. So uh, I went and seen the bank manager and got me a loan. And I ended up paying all those fines, but I had to pay the money back. I got a job after I got out there and I was paying the money back to the guy that borrowed the money. And the strangest thing happened, you know, they ended up robbing the bank and they ended up in jail. And I ended up getting out of Tannant Creek and going back to Darwin. Oh, it's a crazy life you live, I tell you. Yeah, so I, uh, that was an experience. And uh, eventually I did get back to Adelaide and I had a series of operations on my arms over three years. And in that time, I met a, my first wife, or wife-to-be at that time. I met her in the front bar of the Jeps Cross Hotel. And she had a couple kids. And uh, I thought I fell in love with her. So, you know, a bit further down the track, I off to marry her. And uh, she had a little housing trust out at Smithfield Plains. And I went and lived with her. And like I say, we got married. And it was about 12 months after that marriage. I, uh, she's calling me an alcoholic. And I was bringing drunks home from the pub and sitting them up at the kitchen table. And they were really drunk. And I'd say, look at them, they're, they're alcoholics, I'm not. And she would say, yes, right. And she'd get up and just go to bed. She was sick of listening to all the crap. And I would put these guys up for the night, and this particular night, I, I could smell smoke, and he'd smoking a cigarette, and it started the mattress on fire. So I rushed in there and put that out, and put him out at the same time. And uh, it done something, you know, it woke me up a bit, I think, when that happened. I thought, Jesus, I could have killed the whole family, you know, her and the two kids. You know, so I put a lot of fear into me then. And uh, the next morning I rang up AA and that's when I uh, I started listening to people, you know. They said, uh, you know, don't pick up the first drink and uh, we'll tell you where a meeting is. If you want someone to pick you up, we'll send someone around. I said, no, no, I'll be all right, you know. I'll get the wife to take me. You know, so I had a couple of beers that day before I went. 
the wife took me there and we got there early at the meeting and nobody was there and I th we sat there for about 10 minutes and still nobody there and I said, this must be the wrong place. We might as well go because I was dying for another drink. And she said, no, here comes somebody now. And it was uh, Brian, Scottish Brian. And uh, he was the secretary at the time. And down we went and he introduced himself and then a few others rolled up. And I sat in that meeting and uh, I listened to the similarities, not so much the differences. And I identified with nearly every speaker in that room that night. And in those days, I used to smoke in the rooms, and it was only small rooms. I was a non-smoker, and uh, I, I couldn't see across the bloody table hardly, so I just kept my eyes closed, which was most probably good, because I listened better. And I listened to them share their stories, and I thought, wow, you know, maybe there's a bit of hope for me. You know, I keep, keep coming back to these meetings, you know. And I left that meeting that night and uh, I had a bit of hope, you know. And I got to meetings for around about seven weeks and I thought, you know, giving the drink up would save the marriage because I came in to save the marriage, of course. And I, uh, I realised today I should have come in for myself, not for the marriage, not for my kids, not for work. It should have been just for me, you know. But I made the mistake of doing it for other people. And, uh, of course, people, places and things will always let you down. And that's what happened, you know, and I couldn't handle the feelings and emotions. Uh, I found out the wife was having an affair behind my back. And I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to talk to her without a drink, you know. And uh, I bottled it up for two weeks. I didn't go to AA. And eventually I ended up sitting in the pub out at Balala, where I used to go on the weekends. And the barman said, where have you been, Bluey? I said, I've been going to Alcoholics Anonymous, trying to stop drinking. He said, what? You've never caused any trouble here. You know, we can't see nothing wrong with you drinking. Of course, that gave me a green light, didn't it? You know, I was sitting there drinking lemon squashes. And the green light went on and I said, wow, you know. And then the old pattern came back that every time I left the pub, I always grabbed a couple of bottles of beer. And that's exactly what I did that day. I uh, grabbed a couple of bottles of beer, went down the road on my motorbike, pulled up under a nice shady tree, and I sat there and drank those two bottles of beer. And of course... That's the best I'd felt for a long time in my stomach. It settled the nerves. But the head started to go off. You know, I started this big resentment I had on my wife for what's going on. And I thought, oh, I've got to kill him and kill her. And all these stupid bloody thoughts were going through my head. So I thought the best thing I can do now is jump on my bike. And I jumped on the bike and got to Port Wafel Road and coming on home and I couldn't get past the first pub, the Dublin Hotel. Uh, I, had to, I had to pull in the pub and that's what happens, you know. You pick up that first drink, sets off a compulsion to want to have another and another. And I didn't realise that until that day, you know.
And I'd done a bit of a pub crawl on the way home, then about three pubs, finally got home and upset the wife and she ended up leaving, took the two kids and this was on Christmas Eve 1983. So it wasn't a very good Christmas Eve and uh, I sat in the back doorstep with my old dog and I thought, and a couple of bottles of beer I had there and I thought, what do I do now? Will I have a roof over my head? It didn't didn't really matter, you know. I sort of thought about what I'd heard in AA. I remember going to Hillcrest and I seen that sign. Alcoholism is a fatal disease. And that rang a bell, you know. That rang a bell. So uh, I believe that day I accepted I suffered from a disease called alcoholism. And the compulsion left me from that day on. And I uh, had Christmas Day by myself and uh, 26th of December 1983 I got back to AA and uh, I've been back ever since I did it for myself I didn't save the marriage the wife took off she left me I ended up with two kids to look after went on to a pension and I had to learn how to grow up you know I was very irresponsible when I drank and I had to learn how to be a responsible person in the community. And slowly, bit by bit, I learned how to do things, become responsible for my own actions in life. And I put the program into my life. We got 12 steps in AA. I ended up doing the 12 steps and I continue to do them on a regular basis. Yes, yeah, so today is, uh, is pretty good. And you know, I'm retired now. I held a job down for 30 years. And I live fairly comfortable today. I've never remarried. I did remarry once for 18 years, that one second marriage. But today I'm not married anymore. And uh, I'm quite happy with me today. So if you want what I got, it's out there. You know, I just have to do what I did, ring up Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, that's the first step I had to do. And if anybody needs help out there, that's the first step. If you're an alcoholic, take the first step. And it gets better one day at a time, as long as you don't pick up that first drink. And thank you. We have local meetings uh, for the full week in the local area. Uh, Monday is Gala meeting at 8 o'clock. Tuesday is Elizabeth East at 8 o'clock. Wednesday is Elizabeth East at 8 o'clock. Thursday is Two Wells at 8 o'clock. And Friday is Salisbury at 8 o'clock. There's a meeting at Deveron Park at 12 o'clock. And on Sunday, there's a meeting in Salisbury at 7 o'clock. And many other meetings in the area. For details of your local meetings, please phone 1300-222-222. And once again, if anyone you know is struggling with alcohol issues, please call Alcoholics Anonymous. On thirteen hundred double two double two double two, or check out their website on air.org.au.